Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined with our guest super producer, Max the Max the Mesmerist Williams. Yeah. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Fellow conspiracy realist, there's a bit of a trick question. Have you ever hypnotized someone or have you yourself been hypnotized? What do you think about the idea of hypnosis in general? We didn't really talk about this one too much before we went on air with it. So I had to ask, like, guys, I feel like I see it in film and fiction all the time, but I've never actually seen the the kitschy trope of a stage hypnotist for entertainment. Have you guys ever seen that? Yes, college. I did some college touring back in the day, and one of the... One of the big acts that gets on college tours, along with comedians, musicians, is a hypnotist who will do a stage show. It's like an icebreaker, basically, for like orientation kind of stuff or early get togethers with like a new class coming in. Right. Right on. What what was the experience like, uh, as you can remember? People raise their hands. People go on stage. A hypnotist tells everybody what to do basically and everybody for the most part kind of does it and plays along and you know we're going to get into a lot of the details here from my perspective it was people having an excuse to be a little more open and do things that they'd be nervous and anxious about doing if they didn't have a reason to do it i see because then there's a a bit of a gosh a bit of a scrimmage line between one's own agency right yeah like i wouldn't cluck like a chicken for example well, yeah. well even just like to be in a public p- place in front of a bunch of other people that makes some people nervous to one level right now imagine like dancing and putting yourself out there on that stage to kind of like showing yourself off a little bit 
there's another level of anxiety associated with that stuff. So I think this just strips that away, at least to some extent. But you have to imagine that no one with a crippling anxiety for being up on stage or being called out in public would ever raise their hand in a million years. Mm -hmm. Good point. Self-selection. It's a big thing that uh, our pal mentalist Darren Brown talks about at length when you when you hear him speak about parts of his method. And it's weird because we're also going to find out why hypnosis has such a bad reputation. There are two or three really big reasons. And as a result, even now in 2023, uh, the public often derides this as pseudoscience or quirky quackery. But it turns out there's still... Weirdly enough, there's a lot of science supporting this bizarre phenomenon, and people still don't fully understand it. Hypnosis, you could say, is itself a bit of a conspiracy with a lot of fact and a lot of fiction around the, the whole concept. And disclaimer, folks, we might play around with examples of hypnotism or trance states in tonight's episode. So seriously, if you are vulnerable to experiencing trance states, Please, please make sure you're in a safe environment, not driving, operating heavy machinery, etc. Here are the facts. Way to prime the pump there, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to hypnotize you. You cannot get hypnotized. You it's are okay. so unsuggestible right now, uh, bro. Bro, Wes. Uh -huh. I'm going to look. I, we'll get there. But I am coming into this episode fully feeling like hypnosis is complete BS. And it's only because I watched that Penn and Teller BS episode mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. season two, like right before we're recording. And so I feel like this whole thing is cockamaming bum bums. And, and yet it is used in some forms of therapy still. I know. To this day. And, and, and sort of there's some stock put into it. Sorry, let's get those facts out, guys. Yes. Here are the facts. Uh, let's start with a brief history of hypnosis without making anyone sleepy. The term itself is pretty recent. Uh, it was coined uh, back in the 1800s and popularized by a guy named James Braid that you'll never hear about again in the rest of this episode. Uh, the actual thing, the experience of this state, it dates back into antiquity. Uh, some experts who we'll get to later this evening have referred to it as the oldest Western form of psychotherapy. Trances, as we've discussed in the past, have been considered part of magic, religion, soothsaying. I mean, if we look at the scientific history of hypnosis, we also see why those scientific origins caused it so much trouble down the road. We got to talk about our main man, Franz. Franz, not Ferdinand, sadly, Mesmer. This is cool to me. And I mentioned this maybe recently when we were sort of hinting that this episode was coming. I recently watched a uh, Japanese film from the 90s called Cure um, by Kurosawa, but not that Kurosawa. And, and hypnosis and hypnotism is a huge plot point in it. I'm not going to give anything away, but Franz Mesmer ends up being this sort of specter hovering over the whole movie and the study of his work. And was oh, cool. he was he on to something? One of those mm. kind of deals, right? Was he totally full of it? Was he an absolute absolute quack or did he really have the truth it was one of those types of movies and i think everyone would really dig it's a little slow a little odd but very cool very cool movie i sure. like that when you're like kurosawa but not that one the same way we had to say franz but not franz yeah we did do that's true yeah. that's true well yeah so I, I didn't know much about mesmer before i saw this film and uh some of this stuff is new to me as well well i, I wanted to ask just quickly before we get into this um did you guys find in in your research that a lot of the early hypnosis stuff went back to and refers to patients, as we're talking about here with Mesmer, that were experiencing things that were, quote, 
hysteria or, mm-hmm. you know, someone who was maybe going through some kind of uh, mental state that was not understood at all, but there were like attempts to make almost make contact with someone who was operating on a different level. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad you pointed that out because a diff, uh, I would say a big differentiation between hypnosis and its precursors versus something like faith healing is that faith healing would purport often to leave a physical condition, whereas a lot of mesmerism and things that were hypnosis by other names, they sought to alle- alleviate what they would call maybe demons of the mind or some mm. sort of spiritual cognitive blockage. And, uh, you know, as we always have to say when we point out hysteria in general, um, maybe the problem was that women lived in a really crappy society toward women. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's oh god, the etymology of hysteria and hysterics alone is is pretty problematic. The wandering womb. Well, but don't even get me started. No, it's really, but awful. there were even uh, people who were like having some form of seizures, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. that had it didn't have anything to do with that stuff necessarily, right? It has more to do with just again a malady that isn't misunderstood or not understood at all. Um, But then attempting to use things like tuning forks and like all of these, just so many different interesting ways to try and get someone in this trance-like state. Yep. Could be visual, could be auditory, could be pulses or like vibrations, like anything that's sort of a repetitive pattern that the mind can lock into and get sort of tricked into a fugue state kind of, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, that's apt. I mean, you can even see it today on social media, the concept of a sound bath. That's that's something social that media happens. is hypnotism of another kind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, no, yeah. with the patterns yeah. and like oh, you yeah, look, before you look casinos. up and it's been three hours, you mm-hmm. know, you know, it's great. Oh, it's my God. Truly. Casinos are also built to Bro, uh, engender that, that hypnotic state, a flow state, you could call it, uh, which it is, but it's also a flow state that's. The money flowing Very out of your pocket. Your wallet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's helping you guys, your bank account flow. Dude, and he, I, well, I want to talk about it more later, but because I want to get through this stuff because it's really important to set this up, but just pop music and, and the oh, vibrations 100%. that come through your mm-hmm. speakers. And then when you combine it with the words, it gets into like, we've talked about some of that in the past, but like oh, well, Max Martin and the Swedish hit making machines, they're using a formula to keep you exactly as invested as they want you to be at the exact moments and then carry you over and make that three minutes feel like it's an eternity in a good way. If Support indie yeah. music. But, yeah, <laughs> should they, also say. but even then, but you can, again, you could be an, yeah. an indie musician and make Absolutely. the most hypnotic stuff ever. It just maybe then becomes a crazy pop phenomenon like some of the artists we've seen over the past couple of years that start on a YouTube and then all of a sudden they're on the Grammys and you're like, whoa, what? Shout out, not yay. <laughs> so, uh, but there, yeah, beca- and I love that you're saying that because it is technology and there is a democratization of it. You know, anyone can learn that math uh, and you can apply that stuff. Mesmer, Franz Mesmer is not worried about being a pop star but he is worried about being a reality star, maybe more so than he's worried about being a physician. This guy was diplomatically put eccentric. And like a lot of other showmen, he he stood on the shoulders of giants. He got a lot of his basic ideas from two people. One was a British physician named Richard Mead. And Richard's whole thing is uh, that there are gravitational interactions of the planets. 
then as now, people didn't fully understand gravity. And he said, they affect this kind of invisible substance or fluid. It's in all our bodies, baby. You just got to feel the vibration. And I can manipulate this according to the laws of what I call animal magnetism. Ooh. Yeah, animal magnetism was the big thing in, in Cure. That's the most important central part of, of Mesmer's philosophy. You guys got to watch Cure and tell me what you think. I'm, I'm fascinated <laughs> done, by done. Yeah, reaction. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, that, that is another thing that has continued down the timeline into modern day, right? Not It's just different terms. Not the idea that there's some invisible fluid that's being affected by things, but if you think about a, the how, how important astrology is to so many people, like in their personal lives right now, and how popular that is on social media, like it's something within us that is affected by these heavenly other bodies, right? That reminds me, um, I think maybe we talked about this on air a few years back, or maybe it was chat. I, I had this mission a long time ago where I was like, maybe there is, let me not be a jerk. Let me not be dismissive. Let me see if in my own mind, I can figure out some kind of theory for astronomy, right? So our astrology, excuse me, how this would work. And the closest I got was a, we don't really understand gravity as a civilization, right? As a scientific body of thought, uh, B, we know that it affects things and C, we don't know everything about the development of the human mind in gestation. So with those three things being true, could we argue that the passage of heavenly bodies in some infinitesimal way affects brain chemistry? And if so, does that mean that, you know, a Taurus is likely to Taurus or in our case, Leos are likely to roar? I don't know. I never hmm. got past that part. Well, I was also going to add, you know, the, the, to me, the concept of animal magnetism is like what a cult leader has. Sure. Like it's, it's, it describes a quality in somebody like you got that raw animal magnetism. That means that you can like influence people. You can hold sway over people with your just sex panther energy. I you got know? that dog in me. Mm-hmm. Join my cult. Well, but but it's not just it's it is influence, and that's a major part of it, right? I'm just saying that's what I associate it with. This is all other nuances, and I think it's maybe been co-opted a little bit. But like, this is fabulous. Please, but but this thing of animal magnetism for for me, one of the most important parts is that the belief was this stuff, this chi, right? You can think about it like chi. This energy, this whatever this force is that's inside you, can be manipulated by your mind, and and basically someone else can take your mind to a place where your body can do things like heal itself right like wolverine yes in 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 a potentially very dangerous manner right the the belief could be potentially dangerous yes yes because we enter into oh gosh we're all excited to get to this we we enter into a world where the concept of truth experienced truth changes And it is a very real thing. And that's why we call it a conspiracy at the top. Want to shout out the second guy who really informed a lot of Mesmer's work toward what he called an about of humility, Mesmerism. Uh, He had a teacher in Vienna, a Jesuit, whose name was, I kid you not, Father Hell. And Father Maximilian Hell, spelled the way it sounds, uh, his whole deal was I mean, one, being a Jesuit, two, being a teacher. His third whole deal was this idea that he could heal patients of all sorts of stuff with the use of magnetized metal plates. Magnets, man. Magnets, Magnets. am I right? How? Unclear. How are these 1800s ideas just like (laughs) popping back up like it's the big thing? 
Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> what? And, and this guy, um, okay, so Mesmer has these two guys bumping around in his head. They're huge influences on him. And so he takes it a little step further and he says, okay, animal magnetism, love it. Magnets, I'm in, invisible fluid. Chi, if you will, you know, it has, to your point, mm-hmm. Matt, has a thousand names throughout history. He says, okay, a lot of diseases, a lot of um, infections of the mind are just all coming down to obstacles in the flow of this cosmic force. So all I have to do to fix it is induce what he called crises, trance states that culminate in um, an explosion of delirium or even physical convulsions, uh, uh, revelatory moments. Which makes you think about the old... uh hysteria treatments with certain with like hand created vibrating machines I was about to say yeah <laughs> like that woman in the symphony that had a little too good a time well, well yeah, yeah sure but in this case like the actual machinery that was no, developed no, no. by doctors who were like i'm going to treat these patients <laughs> i i will with, i will physically Wild. manipulate you into a sense of sedate well-being and <laughs> convulsions and it's all above board your husband cannot be in the room. <laughs> well, I don't want to get on any kind of like feminist soapbox here, but it did occur to me, maybe this is like stating the most obvious thing. I think women have been uh, sort of subjugated over time because they are just the most powerful force that we know. They're the only ones that can actually create men, <laughs> create more men who could potentially subjugate other men. Again, probably stating the obvious, but it's pretty wild when you think about to what degree that was realized and then just driven home by men. <laughs> oh, 100%. Well, there's we're, I, I, I don't know if we're going to get into it, but there was a whole hypnosis panic akin to the satanic panic Yes, uh, for a while there. <laughs> okay, yes. cool. Yeah, and that's the dangerous thing. Okay, so, so Mesmer had a lot of ideas about how to get these crises going. And a lot of his ideas, now this is an unintentional pun, rubbed people the wrong way. There were numerous allegations that he had inappropriate relationships with female patients. Uh, that was kind of true. I find it also incredibly interesting that his big uh, his big fall from grace comes about when King Louis the Sixteenth hears about this, and you know Louis is balling out at this point, uh, so he convenes a panel of experts, just like people that he can reach who he thinks are smart. And he says, investigate this Mesmer guy's claims. See if there's real science to what he's saying. One of those guys was the famous libertine Ambassador Benjamin Franklin, who also had some inappropriate relationships uh, throughout his life. And they said, according to our report, and you can read this online, he said, mesmerism is utterly fallacious and without merit. A little bit hypocritical, Ben, but And he added, don't check my house for bodies. (laughs) Don't check my London basement. And they're like, why did you put that at the top of every page? (laughs) Just don't do it. Please, Just thank don't you. Do it. Uh, so right now, so like that's that's the past. But because of the controversy surrounding this, just this guy Mesmer, then it gave birth to a cavalcade of accusations against hypnotism, and similar to the way that the U.S. government's uh, war against hallucinogens stymied a lot of research into addiction and into you know 
the power of the mind-body relationship, Mesmer's terrible reputation, I would argue, also hamstrung the efforts of scientists who would come later for a long time. The controversy surrounding this guy transferred into a controversy around hypnosis in general. And that's why a lot of times now people think of it as like a novelty. Did you guys ever play that game? Light as a feather, stiff as a board as kids. I don't even think I played it, but I just remember it from the craft very mm-hmm. vividly. Yeah. But that's mm-hmm. the one where you're supposed to be able to just put your fingers underneath the edges of a person's body and levitate them, you know, with the combined power of your mind, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. I, and- I was too heavy. <laughs> yeah, no. I was too stiff. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh well this <laughs> never mind. This is a that's a form of hypnosis too. Uh the, because really hypnosis is a series of tactics that create another create a state and the feeling. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like driving toward the center of your whatever country you're hearing this in, there are multiple roads that lead there, but your destination is the same. There was this group of um, kind of weirdo performance artists, sort of hippies in the late 60s called the Yippies. I believe Kenneth Anger, the filmmaker um, and, and artist, was was a part of it. And they supposedly did light as a feather, stiff as a board on the Pentagon uh, and the White House. And they claimed to have levitated it uh, a centimeter or so into the air, which it was all kind of like for, you know, lulls and kind of like satire. But that's the whole thing is, hey, if it's a shared belief, if we all believe it happened and felt that it happened, then it happened. You know, except for all the places where it's connected to the load bearing, you know, rods. Oh, you spoil sport, you. Come ground. on. They, okay. We can't have nice things. Well, first off, we need to look at buildings that are situated on ley lines, right? Shout out <clears> to that episode. Uh, so, all right, right now, skeptics and scientists don't buy a lot of stuff about hypnosis. They're not saying it's bullshit. What they're saying is they don't buy a lot of the more extravagant claims about the effects or potential of these processes. And then law enforcement has their own special uh, traumatic story, a story about trauma. In fact, uh, they are pretty gun shy about types of hypnosis, such as memory recovery or memory regression therapy. And there's a good reason for that. Uh, We don't understand hypnosis fully. Humans don't and probably never will because it's a smaller question about a bigger problem, which is that humans still do not understand the human mind and may not for the foreseeable future. But despite all the controversy, there is one thing for certain. You can bet your bottom dollar on it. Hypnosis is real. Sorry to the guy who reached out on Twitter. Hypnosis is real, asterisk, depending on how you define it. See, speaking of mesmerism, somebody just went through time and said, bet your bottom dollar that (laughs) tomorrow. And it just happened as soon as you said it, and it Mm -hmm. played in my mind. I don't know. I'm in a weird state, guys. (laughs) Let's get in a state of sponsored ads. Hey, how about that? Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. 
find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Okay, real hypnosis triggers, anchors, post-hypnotic suggestions, Manchurian candidates. We'll get to all of that, but first I think we got to bust some myths. Did you guys ever see that film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? In film school, but it's yeah, been a minute. Because of all the canted angles and the crazy, like it, it evokes a sense, and this is a, a technique that's been used in film. Fincher uses it a lot, where if the angle of the camera is sort of tilted, it puts you in a different mindset, a mindset of maybe insanity or m- approaching madness, things like that. And that's the movie that really kind of created that language, which is really, really cool. And it's it, it looks very modern, actually. It's a real cool movie. Yeah, and uh, we're going to spoil it. So this is your spoiler warning. Three, two, one, spoilers. Uh, the ostensible bad guy for a lot of the film, most of the film, is a dude named Caesar, and it's uh, spelled C-E-S-A-R-E. He is a hulking 
murderer. He's an evil somnambulist, a sleepwalker, and he's compelled to uh, commit these homicides left and right. He's a real nasty customer. Uh, this depiction of hypnosis is not true. Uh, later, it turns out in the film that the real bad guy is Dr. Caligari. Or is it? Because there's a twist at the end. But uh, the reason this doesn't work, the reason it's what Joe Biden would call malarkey, is that real hypnosis does not remove free will. To your earlier example, Matt, about the icebreakers at, at college or at college tours, uh, that stage hypnotist cannot compel someone to murder someone or to act against their own kind of like moral compass. You know what I mean? There's a great example of that exact thing, Ben, in that Penn and Teller BS episode where the the stage hyp hypnotist says, oh, now everybody look down at your shoes. Oh, it's the most adorable puppy dog you've ever seen in your life. And everybody picks up their shoes and they pretend that they're they've got their cute dogs. And he's asking questions about their individual dogs. And in the post interview for Penn and Teller's BS with all of the people who got hypnotized, they were all reporting. Well, no, it was just I mean. It was fun to pretend and I felt like I could and it was just it was, you know, basically that's what they're reporting to Ben's earlier point or maybe yours as well, Matt, about crossing over into this like, you know, place where you can be more permissive with yourself and perhaps have a have a good time and play a little bit and be mm -hmm. part of the show. And again, to the point where anyone that wasn't down with that would keep their hand perfect, firmly planted under their behinds social pressure uh peer pressure and social dynamics they're a huge part of that when you're working with groups as well i mean look if you put someone into trance what we're saying is they don't all of a sudden become an automaton of some sort even if they are very very suggestible instead they, instead of dozing really they're hyper attentive they're just hyper attentive on different things than they would ordinarily be attending to and there are different kinds of hypnosis the two biggest self-hypnosis and hypnosis brought on by an external source. In the modern day, that's a psychiatrist. In the past, it might have been a magician, the local holy figure, you name it. Uh, the weird thing is, and, and we'll see how this is true, but the weird thing is, folks, you likely hypnotize yourself. You are your number one hypnotist. Uh, we talked about that a little bit with our pal Joe McCormick. Uh, about the the kind of flow, absent-minded state you might get in when you're taking the same route to or from work every day. Uh, you might hypnotize yourself during repetitive tasks, and who doesn't have a moment of reverie when you're falling asleep or when you're kind of waking up and you're still sort of dreaming? That's yeah. self-hypnosis. There's another popular thing that you can find on TikTok or Instagram, wherever you look, YouTube, uh, something that would be titled probably guided meditation. And it's very similar to a hypnosis session. Um, and they are separate things, right? But that there's, there's so many similarities here, this concept of just, um, I, I think maybe this is why I'm confused because I think in that state, you can be hyper attentive to the words that are coming out, but also you can, these are often used to relax and to get people to fall asleep. So I wonder where that line is between a state of hypnosis that is hyperattentive that is also just lulling you into relaxation. So like I I, I think there's there's something there, right? There's a space, uh, oh, a liminal space in between those two states. Um, that is that is fascinating. Um, 
I don't know. You know what's funny too is you got me thinking about film noir. Um, it's it's a trope you see come up in film noir a lot, like in terms of like the shadow self and like the idea of what could make someone capable of murder, you know, or even like perhaps someone was committing murder while under the influence of hypnosis from an external party who was trying to control their actions and stuff like that. So I'm looking at this list of uh, amazing film noirs from the 40s and 50s, and um, I've, I've got some homework to do. Do, but uh, really, really interesting how that this idea, especially with like, you know, things like Freud and just, you know, psychoanalysis, they sort of went hand in hand and really invaded the the, the popular kind of consciousness. I'm glad you said that. And you're right. The uh, shadow of Freud leans long into the modern day and actually leads to some of the problems we're going to explore here. Some of the moral panics and conspiracies. That's uh, uh, your question. Like, what is the difference between, say, um, a sleep aid, an auditory sleep aid, and this kind of guided hypnosis? I, I would say that it's still, again, it's that example of different roads to the same city because those things still get you hyper-attentive, but you're hyper-attentive upon the inner workings of your mind, right? Your your environment. The, the, the guided imagery is sometimes a big thing in those uh, meditation videos, like, we're going to the waterfall, you know, picture relaxing by the beach. You're a lot now of things in your cave. But it's a hypnosis technique to do that very exact same exact. thing. That's so, what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, I guess it gets weird to me because it is, we're talking about self hypnosis now at this point. Guided meditation to me, it, it, it rides the line of self hypnosis and somebody hypnotizing you, which is really mm -hmm. weird. Because mm -hmm. so it's so often just experienced with headphones, right? When you're in bed getting ready. To, well, okay, this is just me showing you. I've done that many a time, a self-guided meditation while I'm trying to go to sleep or something. Um, and I just wonder if you could convey messages to someone that is being hyper-attentive, just not on the conscious level. Yeah, right. Like the uh, hypnotize yourself into quitting smoking mm -hmm. kind of things or into changing some habit or some diet. Yeah. And there was there, that's still a really big industry. Uh, there's there's a guy that I think we all got pretty into named Dr. David Spiegel, who's a Stanford University psychiatrist, one of the top minds in the world of hypnosis. And he puts it this way. He says, if you look at the science during hypnosis, and actually during flow state in sports and uh, feats of creativity, activity in brain regions that helps you switch between tasks, that's what starts to shut down. And the same region seems to disconnect from another part of your brain that helps you notice when you're being self-reflective or notice when you're daydreaming. So the, the part of you that questions your stream of thought quiets down. That's, that's the giant who is being put to sleep. Hmm. Weird. It's a weird one. It also, it, I, I've never done this. I don't know anybody who has, to be fair. But it seems that hypnosis can also be used to help you slowly gain control over autonomic functions that people usually can't control voluntarily stuff like your heart rate, your blood flow, things like that. Like that's why people in these States, their breathing tends to calm down, right? It slows their BPMs go down. Uh, it's, 
That's it's stuff Doctor Spiegel's found. Like that that actually works. Uh, it you can engender that state when you are hypnotizing someone and putting them in a trance state. But uh, and Spiegel didn't say this, but what I have heard is that people have been able to be trained or to train themselves to have control over that uh, sensory stimulus. It's kind of like, um, remember Wim Hof? Sure. The, the guy who Lowering just, his body temperature and all that. Yeah. But yeah. He, he uses physical uh, breathing Breath, the, techniques. Yeah. That Trummo actually, or Tummo? It pumps his core, right? And like he's literally over-exercising his core to send into this state of like so heating it, heating itself through kinetic movements. So I just wonder the difference between like, I, because look, it's for me, it's still feeling as though I cannot believe that there's some unseen force that's being actually manipulated, right? The animal magnetism stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have trouble believing that that could possibly be true. And I, I maybe it's because I'm still connecting it to those concepts rather than just that the mind itself which controls all of those functions that you don't consciously think about like heart rate, right. Or temperature mm-hmm. or things like that. Maybe you could harness control over that somehow by changing the way you think. I don't know. It's just, uh, if, sorry, I'm just having problems with it still. Hey, you, you, me and Noel and the rest of humanity. Cause again, this is still not fully understood. And I, and I do have to give credit where it's due. Uh, Wim Hof, probably not the best example I could have uh, went off the dome with. Uh, our pals, uh, Robert and Sophie over at Behind the Bastards, I think they just recently released a pretty great series on Wim Hof. Nice. Uh, so tune, tune into that, as we yeah, always you say. Don't, you, you don't get featured on that show unless you're kind of a pill. Oh, wait, yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, no. I don't want to listen to that. Oh, uh, dang, man. So that's I, it. I, I, do, yeah. I do think it's interesting because that also is like, you know, I know that he's been tested, you know, science or whatever, and that it is determined that he can do feats of extreme extremity or whatever and then he claims to be able to do a lot of the stuff with by focusing his mind that is connected to a type of self-hypnosis it's sort of like psychosomatic where it's like if you believe something enough you can make your body do what your mind tells you to do sort of like lucid dreaming or being able to again self-hypnotize in a way that's useful to you mm-hmm. oh and uh yes yeah you're absolutely right Noel. and that's also uh i was correct behind the bastards multi-part series on Wim Hof, Wim Hof's surprisingly deadly story. And that is from September of this year. So pretty current. Uh, We do know that regardless of the different variables we're going into, hypnosis guided or self, I almost said inflicted, self-inspired, whatever, uh, it generates that famous sense of physical relaxation. Hypnosis brings us ultimately to the same state. All roads lead to the same Rome, figuratively. The outer world falls away, and all of a sudden you're like a deep-sea diver in the mind. You know, what dreams may come, etc. You plunge into your own mental ocean, and you're entranced by your own inner world. Any hypnotic state can be described as a trance state characterized by... Well, they'll say extreme, but let's say higher than normal suggestibility, relaxation, and a heightened imagination. Very reading rainbow. These all sound like good things. They do. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I sounds great. Butterfly in the sky, am I right? Mm-hmm. Stop. 
Girl. <laughs> yeah, it's too late, man. It's I'm glad late. we made I it. I just mind controlled you, bro. <laughs> I'm glad we made it through psychosomatic, even though I know we were all thinking of that prodigy song. Yeah. Oh so my god. It's but the state is not like sleep. Very, very important. It is not like sleep because the subject in the trance is alert the entire time on some level. That's why the Manchurian candidate stuff doesn't really work. Uh, we'll get into that. We got a scary story there. Uh, most people can uh, compare this to daydreaming or the feeling uh, that you get when you when you mentally exist in another world, like you watch an incredibly enrapturing or moving film or you read an amazing book and you kind of forget where you are uh, or music can transport you as well. That's that's what people compare it to more so than just like taking melatonin and conking out for, you know, four to eight hours or whatever. I just remember one of the best examples of this thing from a recent, well, somewhat recent movie, uh, Get Out with the yeah. with the spoon, the, spoon. And the, the trigger. Uh, yeah, yeah, and the teacup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in Cure, it's a lighter, a flickering flame. It can be oh. anything. Mm-hmm. Those are both the, the, the flame spoon's great because it's visual and sonic mm-hmm. at the same time, and they're in sync with one another. I'm sorry, Ben, but that, that's- no, no, you're right. I'm, I'm like, I love that you bring up the flame because the flame is one of the oldest induction methods, and we'll learn about induction in, in like a second. But the the thing is, whether whatever you call these states, when people are in them. You are tuning out the majority of the stuff happening in the physical world around you so that you can hyper-focus on the subject at hand, the truth occurring in your mind, whatever that could be. You're really paying a sort of super attention. You're just taking all of the, all of the attention you would have paid to the outside world, and you're putting it into your inner world. I mean, like, that's so cool. It It... it it means that the emotions you feel because they're the like non-physical sensations, right? That you're paying more attention to those emotions are very real. And those feelings then become for a time, your reality. Mm. Pretty weird. That's why like the, that's why hypnotists have to be very careful with their leading questions. It, it makes me think of hypnotic regression again. And when you guys remember, we talked to Toby Ball, who yes. made a show, uh, Strange Arrivals. The first season was about um, the Hill family, right? Uh, uh, Benny and Barney Hill. And one of the major pieces of that whole close encounter of the third and or maybe fourth kind was that they were they were hypnotically regressed and remembered things that they had not remembered before. And the big question was, could any of that have been implanted or like, could they have been led down the pathway by the person leading the session? Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's, it's dangerous, dude. That's one of the most dangerous parts. I mean, I don't, do we want to, should we talk about the basic process of hypnotism? Oh, yeah. I, I think, think people so. get the gist in general, but I'd love, I'd love to maybe even review some of the terms. You mentioned induction, you know, so I think it's definitely a smart move. Excellent idea. We're going to tell you the first and most important thing about hypnotizing people right after this word from our sponsors. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. 
At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned. The first and most important thing about any guided meditation, any hypnotic activity, is to make sure the subject consents. I know that sounds like all goody goody, but it's very important. There are ways to, uh, no, you asked about induction. There are ways to get people to enter a hypnotic state without their consent, but they're very unethical. They're also pretty difficult and it's best to avoid them. Once you have consent, make sure the person's comfortable. Uh, once you have them comfortable with no interruptions, you can begin the process of induction. Induction is just the fancy word for kind of ushering someone in 
to this trance state. And there are a million ways to do it. I'm using hyperbole. There are like several dozen good ways to do it. And they really depend on the subject more than they depend on the hypnotist themselves. Like you mentioned, fire, right? Stare into the fire. They used to do that to us in Boy Scouts. Uh, or they would say, or, you know, what's the other one? The one we always hear? The clock, well, a watch, a, watch. Sure. a, a pendulum yeah, of any pendulum, kind, really, yeah. a swinging thing. And it's to, you know, focus, make the eyes move in a hypnotic pattern. I'm also like uh, perhaps a crystal, lo- looking into a crystal ball. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. can be just as much for the person on the other side as it is for the quote unquote hypnotist or soothsayer. You know, they, it's a shared experience. You look into 100%. a black mirror. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Like the like the Mayans did once upon a, a time. A scrying right? mirror or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's yeah. Also, like yeah. an Apple iPhone 15 Pro Max. <laughs> Just so. <laughs> Just so. Brought to you by Apple, folks. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's, yes, again, this, this is very ancient stuff. And that's after that, assuming that works, you get to progressive relaxation. Progressive relaxation is, Matt, kind of like what it's exactly what you were describing with some of those uh, things we've listened to about going to sleep or meant to help you go to sleep. Progressive relaxation just sort of makes you more conscious of your body, makes you more conscious of your breathing and slowing that down. Uh, And this requires a certain amount of willingness or trust on the subject's part. It is, again, extremely difficult to hypnotize someone who doesn't want to be hypnotized. You also should not do it because consent is key. Uh, You can, you know, once you get people relaxed and they're breathing and they're kind of entering that trance state, they're going to naturally start to close their eyes. You can prompt them to do so. Uh, The way a lot of folks will get into it is counting. We've all seen this or heard this in film as well. Uh, You may hear this in some meditation things like we're going to count from one to two and, you know, pause at certain points to say, like, feel your body begin to float a lightness. A warmness. I, I do that with my therapist every time we start. And, um, he does a mindfulness meditation. And I actually have asked him of, of late, can we actually do that at the end? Because when we do it at the beginning, it's cool. But sometimes I'm just like, I, I only see him every couple of weeks. Sometimes I'm ready to just jump right in and talk. But if you do it at the end, it transitions me and allows me to think about sort of what we've talked about, like be, but also kind of just transition into the state of calm. So I've really been enjoying doing it at the end. And then it sort of feels like I'm getting the most value out of, out of the exercise. And that's a, that's a good point because that's, we see the bookend of this in hypnotic sessions, like at the end of a hypnosis session, there's the counting back to the waking world, right? But once you have someone entranced, then that's that's when the work begins. That's where you have the repetition of phrases. That's where you have the stuff where you set up like um, anchors, uh, suggestions, triggers, right? You see a red light, you will always feel warm, which is a very easy one because people already do that if they can see red and green. Uh, but again, <laughs> we're not saying that you can actually make someone respond to these things right because we're, there's no scientific proof that you doing all of the stuff we're talking about could actually make someone see a chicken when they look at uh you know a shoe no that's an extreme version um, okay and that would be for that to happen you would need a lot more work put in and it would not be ethical but we're saying we could you could potentially pair the color red with making someone think something 
You could, yeah. You could make them more likely to have that association as long as it was, uh, as long as it was emotively anchored, as long as it's anchored in an emotion. You're talking about implanting as well, right? That's sort of what mentalists do where they'll, they'll implant an idea subconsciously. And then there's a trigger like the color red or a word or whatever it it might be. And again, this isn't Manchurian candidate spring to action and killing somebody, but it could make them say a thing or think a thing. We can do that to ourselves all day long be triggered by a thing that Matt Matt joked earlier about, what was it? Something about, yeah, Annie, like, I mean, and, and that, wasn't really a magical moment, but it was something that triggered that thing in you that already existed. And if a mentalist or practitioner of this kind of stuff had put it there, then he could have easily recalled that. I do believe that's true. I think the stuff that Darren Brown does is absolutely real, but it's also not magic. It's just weaponized psychology. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And at one point, at some point we have to ask, what's the difference? So you do this stuff and you, you know, you say like, you'll have um, a more hardcore thing would be implanting a suggestion or attempting to implant an association of disgust with like cigarettes, right? That every time you pick up a cigarette, you will, um, you'll be repulsed uh, by the, the smell or the taste of it in your mouth or something like that. And people have sworn by that, but again, it's not a hundred percent solution because at the every step of the way, there are myriad. There's a myriad of options and variables. There's no real silver bullet. That's all malarkey. There's no one size fits all. Uh, what I love about uh, your conversation with your therapist, Noel, is when people count out of a hypnotic um, session, they are often the hypnotist is often going to uh, encourage the subject to continue carrying that warm, relaxed feeling when they exit. And that's a cool, powerful thing. Um, Placebo effect or no, I do find that it makes me feel a little more grounded, a little more chill, and and a little more able to shake off some of the stresses of my week and or day, you know? Mm -hmm. And here's, here's the other thing. Okay. We're going into the deep water now. I sorry. I recently rewatched What Dreams May Come, and it's, <laughs> it's messing with me. I loved it. Um, so we know. I'll you mess ha- up your week. <laughs> it's a bummer. It's, it's, it's heavy. It's it's, it's good. It's, it's amazing. It's just God. <laughs> Not to mention, I haven't rewatched it since we've lost our dear Robin Williams. So that may even make it mm. harder to watch. He's really good in serious roles. Um, oh God, so, yes. We we know, uh, to the earlier point that we've all made uh, in the course of tonight's show, we all know that you cannot, through hypnosis alone, create something that, or create a Manchurian candidate. One cannot compel a person to do things that they would not ordinarily do, or that they have a strong moral, um, moral barrier against. Uh, however, you can get closer to that kind of thing if you use other compliance techniques, brainwashing, drugs. Check out the story of Buckley when he got abducted by the CIA. Evil, evil, infernal stuff. Uh, but, the, but I guess what I'm yeah. saying is if you can if you can convince someone to feel disgusted when they look at a physical object like a cigarette, then you could then it would you would have to be able to convince someone to feel a certain way when they, let's say, look at a picture of a certain political leader, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you could do that because that is an emotive feeling, but that feeling does not have a one-to-one translation to an action, which yes. is why people can go through these self-hypnosis things and then they'll still smoke. 
or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there, there is a, there is an air gap there. Um, and it's, uh, it's a very important one, I think. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. The most dangerous thing we teased it. We had to do it at the beginning. This is probably an episode we want to revisit in full, uh, in more detail, but for now you need to know the most dangerous thing about hypnosis outside of mass hypnosis, outside of propaganda. The most dangerous thing in the West is the widespread panic of memory regression the recovered memory movement of the 80s and 90s. It was the idea that you could have uh, experienced childhood sexual abuse or, you know, just very, very unspeakably horrific things in your past. And they would be so horrible and so scarring that you would bury them and you would never think about them until a skilled therapist who happens to have a book that they can sell you comes along brought it out of you right Mm -hmm. yeah that's where we start getting into the kind of implantation that's a little more uh deadly and life-ruining than just like a reality show with darren brown Mm -hmm. yeah this is the stuff where uh this is the stuff where the danger of leading questions and soft suggestions comes into play because when people are in a very suggestible state these therapists are they're portraying themselves in the eighties and nineties as kind of a, I would call a cognitive spelunker, right? We're going back through the layers and we're finding, we're finding that grain, you know, that uh, led to uh, the actions and, and the feelings you can't explain in the modern day as the modern you, this seemed like a revelation at first patients uh, all across the Western world were claiming they had recovered uh, memories of abuse that began maybe in infancy, lasted for decades. They had completely forgotten about them. And this also saw the rise or the popularization of the idea that trauma would be so bad that your mind had fractured into multiple personalities, which is where we see things like um, what is the pop culture phenomenon, Sybil. Mm-hmm. That's the right one, right? Sybil. That's correct. Yeah, it is. It sure is. So in how dangerous did this get? Well, people got wrongfully convicted. Shout out Jason Flom, uh, based off of these uh, these memories that appear to have been repressed. And again, no one's a villain here. Everybody was working in good faith. It just turned out those memories might have been manufactured. And this leads a guy, uh, <laughs> well, he was already a Harvard psychology professor, but in 2005, Richard McNally, I don't know if he's related to the map empire, he calls the recovery recovered memory movement quote the worst catastrophe to befall the mental health field since the lobotomy era those are strong words right they, they are strong words and uh, you know obviously things that were invasive like trepanation you know drilling holes in the skulls to you know release demons and stuff lobotomies things like that horrific abuses of of, of science quote unquote and of, of power and so i could see how you might could potentially categorize this kind of stuff as soft sciences that couldn't possibly do as much damage as drilling into someone's brain or attaching electrodes to them, but left unchecked, it can do just that. It can, it can do horrible things. So I want to shout out a fantastic New York Times piece by a guy named Ethan Waters, who is the co-author of a book called Making Monsters, which came out in 1994. It is about this phenomenon, the recovered memory movement. And he points out that all of the techniques these therapists were using 
they have been proven to be much more likely to distort memory rather than to help enhance accurate recalls. So, yeah, the science was out. The backlash was pretty quick, but it was uh, it was overwhelmed by the deluge of pop culture and self-help books, all of which. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) uh, the deluge of delusions. Yes. Yes. Perfect. All, All of which seem to paint these therapists as these great um, fonts of knowledge, these gurus who could solve any problem you had by finding a memory that you did not know existed. Or a crime, perhaps, that you may or may not have witnessed. We already know that eyewitness accounts are so fallible, even though they seem like they wouldn't be. The mind does crazy things to convince you that you're correct and that you're remembering. And oftentimes there can be a confirmation bias at play. And if someone's really pushing you to remember the thing, uh, you can very easily manufacture that memory inside your head. Well, think, I mean, it's almost a hypnotic state when you're sitting yes. there and in being interrogated for hours on end, being yes. told you're not telling us the truth. Mm-hmm. Come on, Jimmy, you're not telling us the truth. Wait, no, I am telling you the truth. You're not telling us the truth. We're going to be here till you tell us the truth. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I got a thing. I got. I got to go. I'm going to see Five you, Nights at Freddy's. You do the befriending thing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole. There's a whole pattern twisted. But mm-hmm. really quickly, just what this is the last time I'm going to reference that Penn and Teller episode. There's someone called, named Wendy Friesen. Uh, F-R-I-E-S-E-N and it's spelled W-E-N-D-I. This is a person who in 1994, and this is coming back because of the the time that this New York piece was written in 1994. She, on that Penn and Teller episode, takes a woman back through hypnotic regression to the moment of birth, right? Mm-hmm. And it's to help her get over some anxieties that she's having. Um, they just, you know, scientifically they talk about, well, actually the way the eyes develop, there's no way you could have the clear picture of all the things that were just described throughout, you know, this person who has just supposedly went through this birth process, right? Through hypnotic regression. This same person, Wendy has been making audio and video products for sale for years and years and years since 1994. Huh. She, I'm just going to run quickly run down the, types of hypnosis that she or like sessions that she will sell to you on through her website wendy wendi.com which you can still go to you can uh take a financial abundance course for 150 bucks you can take a back pain relief hypnosis session for 50 bucks a stroke recovery session for 30 bucks you can remotely influence somebody for $45. Wait, wait, why only 30 for the stroke recovery? I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think it's multiple videos <clears throat> yes. in a Tears. course or something. Yeah, I got it. It's still um, weird. All you, of this is sus. You can end your pornography addiction for 50 bucks. You can enlarge your breasts through her hypnosis sessions okay. for $40. Sure. Or you can get a penis enlargement for $70. I was going to ask. Oh, yeah. wow. She knows people pay more for that. Huh? Well, but it's all going back to this concept that through your you can trick your mind into doing things like growing more cells in your penis or you know no i'm serious yeah i know dude that's the belief i Um, still giggle when people say penis because i'm a child but but it all goes back to this same thing of like you're in a way you are tricking yourself into believing something to the point where in this case, like this New York times article that we're referencing here, you are, you are tricking someone into believing they maybe even did something that they didn't do. Exactly. Yeah. And if it's a past occurrence, 
then you don't need physical evidence the way you would need with like enlargement of body parts, right? Or improvement of vision. And this, this goes into, okay, so this moral panic, the reason hypnosis can be so dangerous. First, it is real. It does do some things. It doesn't do what charlatans claim. And it certainly uh, has a, at least the way it was applied during the recovery movement, uh, the recovered memory movement, it was certainly more likely to invent, implant, or distort memories than it was to help you accurately recall things. And people went so nuts for this. These folks were celebrities on Name Your Favorite Talk Show here. All the hits, Oprah, Ricky Lake, Donahue, I think it was Donahue, a million people. Fox and Friends. Fox and Friends. Like, this is before Fox and Friends, but they would have loved it. They probably did do this, right? They were they around did. the 90s. Yeah, they okay. did. Wendy was I, on it. And this is the most dangerous part, though. States changed their statute of limitation laws to allow for criminal prosecutions based entirely on repressed memories. That is thankfully no longer the case because it turns out that was very dangerous and innocent people got locked up. Well, but to your point, both of y'all's points about like convincing yourself that something has happened and maybe that even convinces the practitioner that they've actually done something. It's, it's almost like self-fulfilling prophecy or this sort of like, what's the word? Like almost mm, like parasitic slash kind of, nah, what's the word where you're Symbiosis. actually kind of helping? Symbiotic kind of, exactly. Do you think that, I mean, I don't, I personally don't think that everyone who believes that this stuff, you know, the, 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 everyone who purports to be able to do this are charlatans. No. I think some people really believe in it and they think that the, what they're doing is actually helping people. And maybe it is. Maybe there are some instances where this, this is helping. If people. you feel better, again, if you're in a state where an emotional experience is your core focused reality, then that does have measurable effects on, on the body over time, it's just, I, I think it's really important that you pointed that out. The vast majority of these practitioners were acting in good faith. They were probably inadvertently doing dangerous things, but they weren't all out for a cash grab. And there's a, there's a thing that happens, right? Because the, the practitioners are themselves human. Right. There's a fundamental design flaw they can't get around. And how many people have to tell you that you have magic powers before you start to believe there might be something to these claims? It's social dynamics and another form of peer pressure yet again. And there's no FDA process for checking out and overseeing, you know, hypnosis. And, yeah. and you don't need any equipment. <laughs> You've already got it all, you know, so there's really it's very difficult to oversee this kind of stuff unless something absolutely catastrophic happens. Yeah, I yeah, I, I think it just points to maybe the dangers of feedback loops in general, because I'm, I'm again, like in defense of that person I called out, Wendy, it looks like in all the video I've seen of her in all the writing I've seen on her website that she truly believes she's helping people and is capable of providing those services. I can't, you know, subjectively, whether I believe her or not, that's one thing, but she appears to truly believe it. And I do wonder if that's exactly what it is, Ben, just she's been told enough times that it works, right? She, in, in the Penn and Teller episode, she says she got a call from a guy who said, yeah, it grew an inch. <laughs> His breast? Yeah, uh, his self confidence. <laughs> Let's go with that euphemism. So, yes. yeah, this uh, that it is a good point, and you know, we also we're also aware that look, if you are a patient of any sort, 
you will tend to adopt your healer's patterns of behavior and belief. And you might not know you're doing that. Even little stuff like mirroring behaviors, you'll, you'll pick up cues and clues from social settings, and you might not be aware that this is happening. The, and the doctors, the, the therapist, the psychiatrist, they, there's a ton of literature on this. They have to be very careful to not unintentionally cause you to pick up things, pick up cues that you don't know you're throwing. And that's why all, all this leads us to, of course, the satanic panic. Uh, this also leads us to the reason the American Psychological Association has said conclusively, it is not possible to distinguish repressed memories from false memories without corroborating evidence. We need something physical there. And this tells us the following. Hypnosis is real. You hypnotize yourself more than likely, on a regular, if limited basis. Yes, hypnosis can be used for dangerous purposes, even with the best of intentions. But, I, you know, there's so much we didn't get to. The susceptibility scale, like the reason about two-thirds of human beings are considered to be uh, pretty susceptible to suggestion. I should say pretty suggestible. I don't want to make it look like a weakness because it is, it kind of does have a correlation with the power of your imagination, which is a beautiful thing. We, we didn't really go into this a ton, but like there are people that are more quote unquote suggestible than others. Yes. That's, that's real. Like, mm -hmm. and, and I was going to mention earlier, like the one time I've seen a hypnosis show was at the Renaissance fair uh, here in Atlanta. And I was pretty impressed. Cause like, I just, I don't think these people were plants. Um, and they, I don't remember exactly what they did, but it was some stuff that was really interesting and pretty compelling. And I, and I remember I'm pretty, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical as the next person on this kind of stuff. And I just remember seeing some of these people just walking around, they weren't stooges as, uh, as Darren Brown calls them. They were just there having a good time with their families and they definitely did some weird stuff. So I do love that we've pointed out the whole idea of the performative aspect of it and how it's fun to just participate and have a good time. And maybe that's more of it than anything. Maybe that is it, but I do remember being taken by it and being like, oh man, how does he pick out the ones that are the most suggestible? Because he picks and chooses. A lot of people raise their hands and the, the person on stage decides, you know, who to, who to take up there. Wouldn't it be crazy if you heard a finger snap and Noel, you opened dude. your eyes and you were on stage at the Renaissance Fair several years right ago? Right now. Yeah. Had been for years. Dude, oh my God, that's <laughs> terrifying. That's good story <laughs> material right there. I like that. Are you guys cool with me? I don't believe hypnosis is real at all. No, pl please. I, I don't I, well, think you can do any of Like, I don't think it's real. I think, I think we're the thing that is like hypnosis and meditation and some of those tr things that you can like access is not the same thing as hypnosis, but because I, I understand meditation and guided things like implanting ideas when you're in a susceptible state is one thing, but like hypnosis hypnosis i don't think it's a real thing that's why i would say it's like it's the definition what is hypnosis hypnosis then how do we define the thing that is not real someone putting you under getting you calm and then making you think things that you're unaware of okay but then that would be how is that different from implanting a memory i don't think you it's weird because i don't think you I don't think you can do that either. I think you can take someone into a place where you like 
create a story in your head. But uh-huh. to me, that's not implanting a memory. That is literally using your imagination to come up with a scenario. But what if we took it to an even more extreme, like borderline techno torture kind of situation where you literally had like like Clockwork Orange, you know, where you've got someone being forced to watch stuff on a loop for a incredible long periods of time and pair that with drug injections that, that make you open up to this kind of suggestion. Like, do you think that's possible? Yeah, but that's like torture. And I, I think it's just the terminology maybe is what I've like am having a problem with. I understand. I, um, I, I think we're all on the same page, frankly. I, I, that's, I, I really do. Hmm. But, with, but it's weird. Cause you can do things like I got a feeling I don't remember the next line. <laughs> it's gonna be a something, something. Just wanted to see how many people in their car. Because yeah. you can do weird stuff like that, right? With your, the mind, you can play tricks with somebody's mind if you have bad intentions through repetition. It's about repetition. I wouldn't have been able to finish that line for you if I hadn't heard that song a gazillion. Times. That's one of the tools. Repetition's one of the tools. But definitely, yeah, I see you, Matt, and I, and I do like to your point. Noel, I do think we're all on. Once we get past the nomenclature, uh, I think we're on the same page about uh, the phenomenon and the limits, importantly, of that of that phenomenon, right? Uh, because, you know, there's no way someone's going to be hypnotized into flying because humans don't do that without a specific set of tools. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah. and changing your mind about it is not going to help you beat gravity or other kind of physical limitations. Yeah, because I'm thinking about just watching the news or something, D- depending on how you feel about like a political issue or a global news issue. I feel like that's more conditioning based on what you've encountered in the past. There we go. Like, how than, is conditioning different than hypnosis? That, that's what, and now we're, now we're getting somewhere. I think what I was describing too earlier, the clockwork orange example, that's conditioning to an aggressive degree. Hypnosis is almost meant to be a shortcut to long-term conditioning. I mean, maybe it's just the H word. And the way it's been associated with such cockamamie stuff since the days of Mesmer and well before. But the idea of a flow state or trance or suggestibility is that part is real. And that does have, you know, it's a kissing cousin to conditioning. It can be used as a kind of conditioning. But folks, we we're obviously uh, we're obviously having a lot of fun with this. Uh, we've all consented to be here. We are not in a current trance state. Uh, we hope you enjoyed tonight's show. We would love to hear your opinions. Um, a harmonica or a whistling note in the dark. I don't know what this is. Yeah. I have this thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it says music on it. It looks like something you're supposed to blow into, but I don't know what it does. <laughs> it doesn't really do anything. I, I've, I've been holding off on throwing it away because I was like, maybe it's useful, but. I don't think it is. Sorry, I, guys. I was listening to Ben, and I felt like I was being pulled back from a hypnosis session <laughs> or something. I don't know. Okay. You are. You're being pulled back from our hypnosis session, and then that it's our episode on hypnosis, and it's coming to an end. Uh, and, and to Ben's point, you can find us all over the internet if you wish. We are Conspiracy Stuff on YouTube, X, nay, Twitter. I'm going to stop saying that eventually. I just I hate X so much. Uh, and also Facebook. And we are a Conspiracy Stuff show on Instagram and TikTok. Hey, do you want to call us? Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. Go ahead and take a second. Put that as a contact in your phone, just in case it calls you back. If you call it, you're going to get three minutes. Give yourself a cool nickname and say whatever you'd like. Just please let us know if you give us permission to use your voice and message on the air. 
If you don't want to do that, why not send us an email? We read every one we get. Send us your pictures. Send us your links. Take us deep into the rabbit hole. We'll do the rest. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.